This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Today is Pentecost Sunday, or Whit Sunday, as often it's called, supposedly because apparently uh, in past centuries that believers wanted to get baptized on Pentecost Sunday and they dressed in white and it became known as White Sunday and then Whit Sunday. Let me just remind you of something before we get into what I really uh, want to get into. If somebody spontaneously just asked you what does Pentecost mean, or what does Pentecostal mean? Uh, last uh, Thursday, uh, Thursday or Friday, last Thursday, we had a whole class of school children in here from the integrated school up the street. And as they do from time to time, different classes, they go around the churches and ask about the history of the, each church. And so they were asking about the history of this building. And then they also began to ask some theological questions. And, uh, of course, they weren't the ones who picked the questions. It was the teachers. They just let them ask the questions. And the first question was, what does Pentecostal mean? Could you answer that? If somebody sitting on the bus turned around to you and you get chatting and said, what does Pentecostal mean? How would you answer that? Would you say, well because a lot of people would say this, well, it's those happy, happy, clappy people who raise their hands and they sing long and loud and all the rest of it. They're very joyful and exuberant in their praise and worship. Or would you say, well, it, it commemorates a time whenever the Holy Spirit descended in power and in fullness upon the disciples on the day of Pentecost and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. We just read that there a moment ago. Well, that would be a fair answer, wouldn't it? It's the way most Christians would look at that. Uh, but what if they said to you then, but why did the Holy Spirit come on the day of Pentecost? Well, why not any other day? Any day would be a good day for the Holy Spirit to come and fill people and empower people. But why on that particular day? Well, the day of Pentecost didn't start in Acts 2. The day of Pentecost was 1,500 years earlier whenever God commanded Moses and gave him the law. And whenever God gave Moses the law, the law came in three forms. First of all, there was the moral law, the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. And then there was the, the civil law. 
The civil law of these was rules and regulations to help the people of Israel, to help them to relate to one another in a fair way, in a just way, in a good way. And then there was the ceremonial law. And the ceremonial law was, again, certain rules and regulations, uh, certain rituals, how to approach a holy God in a respectful, fitting, reverent way. And so the law covered every aspect of their whole lives, their moral lives, their lives with one another, and how to approach a holy God. And then in Exodus 19 and Deuteronomy 16, uh, God commands Moses to, to have certain feasts. And there would be seven of these feasts that would be carried out over a period of seven months whenever they would come into the, and claim their land. And these feasts would be all centered around times of harvest because they would be an agricultural people. And Passover was the first feast. And this would be about the middle of April. And Passover uh, was a time that they would look back to whenever God delivered them from Egypt. You remember how that they had to kill that lamb, put its blood on the doorpost and lentils, so that when God's judgment would come, it would pass over them and onto the Egyptians. And so they would have to look back and remember that and hold a feast of Passover. It was also the time of the barley harvest. But then they would plant their wheat. And over a period of seven weeks, that wheat would begin to ripen. And in seven weeks, seven, seven is 49, and one Sabbath day would make it 50. And that would be the harvest. And the word Pentecost, the word pente, well, the first word, word penta, P-N-T-A, penta, is a Greek word, and it means five. A pentagram is a five-pointed star. The Pentagon, which is the, <laughs> the center of the defense of the United States, is a building of five sides. Pente, P-E-N-T-E, means 50. And Pentecoste means 50th, the 50th day. So on the 50th day, it was called the, the Feast of Pentecost. Now, the Jews, even to this day, calls it Shavuot. Which means weeks. So sometimes it's called the Feast of Weeks because it's seven weeks and one day. And then in October, right up to October, then there was the Feast of Tabernacles. And that was commemorating and celebrating, I should say, the harvest of grapes and olives, the oil and the wine. So that the first harvest was the grain, and then the last harvest was the oil and the wine, the grapes and the olives. Now, back to Pentecost. Remember Jesus dying on that cross as our lamb, slain before the foundation of the world. John says, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. So, at the feast of Passover in Jerusalem, at that time, whenever the 
whenever the priest would be slaying the lamb to commemorate the feast of Passover, Jesus would be on the cross who would be our true Passover lamb. And he would be dying for us to forgive us our sins. Now you remember how three days later he rose again. And over the period from when he died to 40 days, he showed himself alive by many infallible proofs to his disciples and to 500 and above more people. Then he gathered his disciples together before he ascended heaven to heaven on the 40th day. And he says, I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father till you be endued with power from on high. And so they waited there in an upper room, much like this upper room that you're in today. 120 in all were there gathered. Now imagine, at the other side of the city in the temple, here would be the priests and they would be commemorating and they would be holding all their rituals in order to commemorate and celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. Now, at the Feast of Pentecost, they would commemorate and celebrate. They would commemorate, first of all, the giving of the law. Because whenever the children of Israel left Egypt in the Passover exodus, 50 days later, they arrived at Sinai, where God gave Moses the law. And so on the day of Pentecost, from then on, they would celebrate the giving of the law of God, plus celebrating the harvest that had come in. So, while they're doing that over there, Jesus has risen from the dead... Fifty days after his passion on the cross, he's already risen, 40 days already ascended, and then another 10 days brings us to the day of Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. Then, as promised, he sends his Holy Spirit. And what happened when the Holy Spirit came? There was a great harvest of souls. 3,000 saved in one day in one meeting. And then there was 5,000. And then all Jerusalem was filled with their doctrine. And then it went from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so that is the day of Pentecost, which celebrates two things. And so as believers, we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit in his fullness to not just be with us, but to be in us. To be in us. Who is the Holy Spirit? What is his role in the Godhead? How prominent is the Holy Spirit in Scripture? Is he some kind of a shadowy figure lurking in the background? What does the Holy Spirit do in our lives and in the lives of unbelievers? How conscious can we be of the Holy Spirit's presence. Does he speak? Does he hear? Does he listen? Can we please him or displease him? Can we ignore him or implore him? Pray to him. Can we resist him? Can we exist without him? Why is it that we seem to know more about God the Father and God the Son than God the Holy Spirit? Well, maybe because 
God the Son came in human form, lived amongst us. They could handle him, touch him, see him. And maybe because we understand the Father, because Jesus showed the characteristics of the Father. He says, would you see me do what you hear me say? That's the Father. But what about the Holy Spirit? Can we know him? Can he be real to us? There are many, many questions we could and should ask about this, but we don't have enough time today to do all of that, even all of the things I mentioned there. But for example, the Holy Spirit is first mentioned right back in Genesis. When it came to creation, the Holy Spirit of God was involved creatively, creating the very world that we live in. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were all involved in creation. And the Holy Spirit played his part. In Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The AV said, was moving or moved upon the face of the waters. Now, it's interesting that the word that's used here, the writer uses for hovering or moved is found only twice more in the entire Bible. And it's found in Jeremiah 23 and 9, where Jeremiah is so vexed because of the false prophets of Baal that were around and because God's so-called prophets were prophesying a load of nonsense and God was angry, and God was going to deal with him so much so, in fact, when Jeremiah knew that, his very bones were shaking. And then in Deuteronomy 32, 11, it gives that illustration of the eagle stirring up its nest. And there's a stirring up going on in the eagle's nest to get the eagles to fly. Henry Morris, in his classic book, The Genesis Record, he says that the word suggests a shaking, a rapid movement, a hovering is a good example. In modern idiom, he says, vibrate would be a good term to use. So that's why some say the Holy Spirit brooded, brooded over the face of the deep like a hen incubating her eggs. That's fair comment too. But Morris is this to say, and I'll paraphrase, he suggests that the pre-creation image of everything being without form and void and darkness reigning, but as yet there's no discernible creation, no structure. All the ingredients are there to build the universe, but the Holy Spirit is hovering, vibrating, moving, fluttering over, awaiting the signal to release his mighty power and bring energy and life and structure to that great mass. Then he further adds this insight. Just about everything in the universe is subject to waves. Light waves, heat waves, sound waves, radio waves are moving. As we sit here right now, there's all kinds of waves going through the atmosphere and going through us, but we don't see it. 
And at the precise moment of creation, all that, he says, all that dynamic power of the Holy Spirit must have vibrated and reverberated throughout the vast nothingness and emptiness of space and brought into being all the physics and the chemistry and the atomic power that makes up the complex structures of our world and this universe and affects every living creature. What awesome power the Holy Spirit has got to bring all of this about by vibrating, by fluttering, waiting from the Word to say, let there be. And suddenly, all that power is unleashed and the universe begins to take shape. And this world of ours comes into being. In Genesis 1 and 2, where it says the Spirit of God, the word is ruach, the ruach of God. It can mean wind or breath or spirit. But rather than ruach here meaning just an impersonal wind, in the context of Acts 2 and the day of Pentecost, it clearly shows to mean the Holy Spirit. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind, the Ruach of God. It filled the whole house where they were sitting, obviously speaking of the Holy Spirit. So right from the very beginning, right from creation, right until Pentecost, right until ever since Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has been actively involved in everything in this life, in the whole universe, and particularly in our lives. And so even though the Holy Spirit has power, and even though often he's spoken of in terms, his dynamism in terms of wind or force or energy, we must never ever think of the Holy Spirit as just wind or force or energy. He is a person, the third person in the divine Godhead and he can see and he can hear and he can speak and he can be vaxxed and he can be blasphemed he can be spoken to in John's gospel Jesus when he's referring to the Holy Spirit he always uses personal pronouns pronouns like he or him or himself never ever it so never think about the Holy Spirit as it he's he him himself The Holy Spirit is also actively and powerfully involved in the new creation. In John's Gospel, chapter 3, you know it so well. Jesus likens the new birth when he's talking to Nicodemus like the wind. He said, we can hear the wind, but we can't see the wind. We, we don't know where it's going. We don't know where it's come from. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. But we can see the effects of the wind. And even though we can't see the Holy Spirit, but we can feel his effects in our lives and in the world. This is why the Apostle Paul said in Romans eight sixteen, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. 
the moment you get saved, or for some maybe shortly after that, suddenly you got the realization that you were born again of God, that something had happened to you that had never happened before, and you were changed on the inside, and you thought differently, and you acted differently. How did you know that change happened? Because the Holy Spirit witnessed that change to you, that you're now a son and a daughter of God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we would have no witness. We would be constantly in the dark. Are we saved or are we not saved? But he witnesses to us. The Spirit himself witnesses with our spirit that we are the sons of God. 1 John 4, 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. We know we're in Christ because the Holy Spirit is in us. The Holy Spirit's not in us, we're not in Christ. And when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, then that's a witness. He witnesses to us. Galatians 4 and 6. And because you're sons, God sent forth the Spirit of the Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Christ, of course, is the one who baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. But it's the Holy Spirit who baptizes us into Christ, into the body of Christ. It's a supernatural thing. It happens supernaturally. We can't fully explain how, but it does. And when it does, you have the witness. You know you're born again of the Spirit of God. And so the same Holy Spirit who was powerfully active in creation is the same Holy Spirit who's powerfully active in the new creation. He is the one who brought into our lives life and structure and purpose and reason and plan out of that darkness we were in, out of the chaos of the sin in our lives. He came in and he changed everything. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Not only that, but he gives us revelation. The Holy Spirit reveals in John 16. Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine, declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said he will take of mine and declare it unto you. In chapter 14 of John, verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father that he may give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. And that's comforter, paracletos, one called alongside to help. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. And so the Holy Spirit is the one who reveals things to us, particularly his word. 
If the Holy Spirit didn't open this book to us, it would be a history book. It would be a boring book. It would be a book of dark mysteries. But when you get saved and born again of the Spirit of God, born from on high, then you begin to understand this book because it's God's Word and the Holy Spirit, who's the author of God's Word, then He enlightens us. When you read the Bible, ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten you. He's the author. I love books. Love them. Not so keen on Kindles, but I love books. But if you have a Kindle, that's all right. But if you ever meet the author of the book you're reading, I guarantee you it'll mean much more to you. Sometimes at a conference you hear a speaker and you like what you've heard. And afterwards you're on the book stand and you're out and say, oh, that's that speaker, I, like, I liked him, I liked her. And there's their book, so I'll buy that. In fact, I might even get them to sign it. And then you take it home and you read it and as you read it, as you're reading their book because you've heard them, you can almost hear them saying what you're reading because there's a little bit about them now that you know that you never knew before. And if you really know the person who wrote the book, then it will mean much, much more to you. And that's why whenever we read the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, who's the author, the inspirer of this book, he lives in us so we can ask him, open thou my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Lord, show me by your spirit what this is saying. And then it becomes much more interesting. And then you'll see things, you've maybe read it a hundred times, but suddenly that time you'll see something you didn't see before. This is the work of the Holy Spirit within us. And so, the Holy Spirit is your guide. Now, tonight, I want to talk more about the Holy Spirit tonight. It's Pentecost Sunday, so we'll do it tonight. But the Holy Spirit can mean so much too. He can anoint us, He can guide us, He can teach us, He can help us. And we need to rely on Him more than we presently do. Because we're not anywhere near understanding the fullness of the Spirit as we should. And I say that for me and for you and for all of us. We're not anywhere near what we should be. So we should focus a little bit more on the Holy Spirit and we'll do that tonight. That's not to take away from the Lord Jesus because a great part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to point us to Him, to show us Him, to lift Him up. And we lift Him up. The bulk of our preaching is to lift up Jesus, isn't it? It's to talk about Christ and the gospel and the good things of the Lord. And we do that. But we need to talk a little about the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read another just little portion of Scripture as we draw this to a close this morning. But first of all, let me say this. The Holy Spirit is mentioned in the Old Testament more than 90 times and is given 18 different titles. In the New Testament, he is mentioned more than 260 times and given more than 30 different names and titles. In fact, the only two books in the New Testament where he's not mentioned is Second and Third John, those tiny little letters. Other than that, he's everywhere from Genesis to Revelation. So the Holy Spirit has much to say and much to do. In Genesis, sorry, in Revelation 22. 
And this is the last mention of the Holy Spirit uh, in Scripture. Verse 12, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to every man according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs, sorcerers, sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and the morning star, and the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. The last message about the Holy Spirit in the whole Bible is come. Come to Christ. Come to the Savior. It's as if the Holy Spirit is pleading, pleading, come. Come. Don't leave it too late. Come. And the whole tenor of the gospel is just to receive the word of God, receive Christ, receive the gospel before our necks become hardened and we miss before it's too late. We're to come. And so the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts men and women to come to Christ. That's another part of his ministry on earth, convicting men and women and boys and girls to come to the Savior. And the very last mention of him in Scripture, that's what he's doing. Come, he said. He's making the invitation. He's pleading for men and women to come to Christ. The Holy Spirit who lives in us is powerful. He reveals. He convicts. He strengthens. He encourages. He fills. He does so many things. And so we need to be conscious of his ministry on earth today. Jesus has gone back to the Father. He sits at the right hand of the Father. But we read earlier, he said to those disciples, I will not leave you like an orphan. I will come to you. And he's not just talking about his second coming. I will send one just like me, another helper, another one who will come, only he'll be in you. And he'll be your advocate on earth. And he will be the one who will lead you and guide you and strengthen you and empower you and inspire you. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we need more of an understanding of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we realize that there's so much more of your spirit than we currently understand or we presently employ in the kingdom of God. So would you help us? Would you show us? Would you guide us to be able to enjoy 
the ministry of the Holy Spirit in each of our lives. Thank you for sending your Spirit, Lord. Thank you that you did not leave us without comfort, but you sent one just like you who resides in us. So we thank you for his ministry in us right now. And we pray for an increase of his ministry in us today. We look forward to that. We ask that you would do this so that you may be glorified, that lives may be touched, that people may be changed, that souls may come to the Savior. We ask all these things in that name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.